1: Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV, your source for all things Americana and roots music. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi there, I'm Nick Black, host of The Soul Side on Diddy TV. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our guest this hour is Brandi Clark, the inspired and insightful singer-songwriter from Morton, Washington, who's been nominated for eight Grammy Awards and who's collaborated with Dwight Yoakam, Sheryl Crow, Brandi Carlisle, and Casey Musgraves, just to name a few. Today, she chats with Amy Wright about how she's feeling to be currently nominated for two Grammy Awards, Best Country Solo Performance for Who You Thought I Was, and Best Country Album for Your Life Is a Record. Let's listen in.
2: Used to want to be a cowboy, a shadow in a sunset. That's why I started smoking cigarettes. Used to want to be a cowboy. I met you. Now I want to be honest. Now I want to be better. Now I want to be the me I should have been when we were together. Join the circus. for <laughs>
3: so beautiful oh my gosh just such a beautiful song um and there's a story behind the song right Uh, you you heard the heard what who was it john prine mentioned something that struck you yes i was at the americana
0: awards um a couple years ago now and he came out he was coming out to introduce iris DeMent. And he walked out and everybody stood up and gave him this big standing ovation. It felt like 10 minutes. It was probably three. And I think in an attempt to not get emotional, when everybody finally quieted down and sat down, he said, well, I'm John Prine, but I'd like to go back to being who you thought I was. And it really struck me like, you know, a, it's hit me in the heart. Like, Oh God, who hasn't felt that way? You know, when you've let somebody down and you think, man, I wish I could go back to that version of me that they, they thought I always was, you know, and and then it also hit me as a songwriter. I, I remember grabbing, it was at the rhyme and my phone was just sitting on the pew, and I remember I grabbed it and wrote it in my phone real quick, and um, there were so many great songwriters there that night, I'm sure, that did the same thing. So the next day, I made sure that I went into the people I was writing with, Jonathan Singleton and Jesse Joe Dillon, and threw that idea out, and they loved it. We wrote it that day.
3: It is a really interesting concept, because you're right, we've all been there, where... Someone says to you, "Well, I thought you were this and mm-hmm. and then there's a part of you that thinks maybe I'm not that way, but I wish I could be because I love you, and I want you to love me back, and I want you to think of me however you want to think of me but um, but it's tough because you're not always exactly who who they thought
0: even if it's not even if you haven't done anything to let somebody down, even if it's just I'm not your forever or i'm not i I'm, I can't be this, whatever it is." And you always feel or I always feel like, oh, I wish I, I wish I could have been that or, you know, because who doesn't love it when somebody looks at you and, and, you know, thinks you're who they think you are. I mean, it's like your dog. Everybody wants to be. I always want to be the version of myself. My dogs think I am.
3: For sure. Well, let's back up here for a second, because this is a really very exciting day. Uh, you've been nominated for two Grammy Awards for the 63rd Grammy Awards. For your life is a record album best country album and best country solo performance for who you thought i was that you just played how does this how are you taking this all in honestly
0: well i have i mean there's a lot of emotions um elation is one of them um relaxation is another one because you know you hope for those things you don't know if they're going to happen and you know a lot of times they don't. So when they do, it's like a big exhale. And um, this year it means an extra. It means a lot, a lot to me this year because this has been a tough year for everybody. A tough year to release a record, and I don't, I don't say that as an excuse because every other person nominated also had to release a record in a really tough time. Um, and so to not be able to tour and it is tough because that's you get that. Um, reaction every night to the, to the record. So, you you know, I've toured online and, uh, but, you know, it's not the same. And so to get those nominations makes me feel like, okay, this record is making a difference and it's impacting people. Um, and I don't know, I've, I've wondered, I've questioned that a lot this year, like, oh, is, is this, does this, is this even mattering? And, you know, continued to do things online because I have a great fan base and, you know, want there, there have been a tougher time than I am, you know, and music is their escape. And so, uh, but a lot of this year I've wondered, oh man, you know, this is my favorite record I've made. Um, they're all my favorite, but my, you know, this, you know, it's my current favorite. Um, and is it, does it matter? I've, I've wondered that. And so those
3: nominations really make me feel like it matters to a lot more people than I than I realized. It's sort of validating in a, some, some way that you're putting yourself out there, and I know that artists do so mostly for their art, but it's also nice to be validated that other people are really um, not only enjoying the album, but, um, but really giving it its due. And what struck me is when I listened to it, the lyrics were, the imagery was so poignant, and the kind of starting with the, uh, title for the album life is a record. I thought that was so interesting because we always talk about music being the soundtrack of our lives, but then there was sort of this double meaning there. Tell me about the title of the record.
0: So that the first song on the album is called I'll be the sad song. And the first line is if your life is a record, um, which really, I, I always think of life that way. I think of life as records. I think of it as seasons, you know, and um, I wrote that song with Jesse Joe Dillon, who I mentioned, and Chase McGill. Um, and Jesse had that idea, and we wrote the song, and I always loved it and wanted it on the album and recorded it. And then, you know, as, as the songs were being recorded, and um, this album we worked with, the Memphis Strings and Horns, that was one of the first things we heard back from them. That was the first thing I heard them on was I'll Be the Set Song. And I was so moved by what they did in the, before you ever hear me sing a note, just you hear that, that intro and it feels like something's coming. And I said to Jay Joyce who produced the record, man, what if we, what if we started this album with I'll be the sad song, which is sort of taboo, you know, to start a record off with a, with a downer of a song. And he said, I love that. You know, let's start it with that and end it with past is the past. So when, When I when we chose that, Jesse Joe, who's also a good friend of mine, said, maybe you should call the record. Your life is a record. And I was I just that that was it. I said, that's it. You know, that's really it. And a lot of times the titles of albums are are really like thought over and, you know, back and forth. and, And that one wasn't it was, you know, once that was said, that was it.
3: Well, I think it's so poignant and and such a great description for the entire album because you really walk us through um, uh, some some really personal moments. And I know that there was uh, you yourself went through um, a personal breakup that is reflected in some of the songs. You can you can tell, but yet they're universal themes that apply to everybody who's been through something, been in a relationship, lost that relationship, but also taking us from. Like you said, the, the sort of "I'll be your sad song" and maybe that's a, a memory to the past as the past, and we can sort of move on, and then everything in between. But there's a whole lot of heartache and self. Uh, you know, you really have to look introspectively during that to get to reach to reach that point. I should say.
0: Yeah, and I did. I I did go through a breakup between my last album and this album, and. And didn't realize how much I was writing about it until it was time to make a record. And actually, Jay Joyce was who pointed that out to me when he got the songs. He said, boy, this is a breakup record. And I was like, wow, I didn't even you know, I didn't think about that. But I guess it is. And so we just kind of embraced that. And, and I love that you noticed that past is the past leaves you with some hope. Because I, that was really important to me was to end on some hope. Because, you know, we go through a breakup and, you know, you go through all those things of can we be strangers and who broke whose heart and apologies and who you thought I was and all those things. And then then you do get to this place where it's like, okay, we're both moving on and it's bittersweet, but it's more sweet than bitter now. And, you know, this I'll look back on this fondly. And but, yeah, in the middle, there are all those those other feelings That aren't always the greatest. But we all feel, we all go through that.
3: Yeah, we all go through that. Um, I liked particularly Pawn Shop. I liked the uh, um, comparison of your whole relationship to uh, the ring because what's wrapped up in that, it's so symbolic. Uh, It was symbolic of the hope that you had for the relationship, but then also symbolic that when you sell it, you're kind of ending the whole thing.
0: Yes. And also you're giving it to someone else because that ring will be somebody's, somebody else's fresh start. That song, I love the bridge in that song. I don't love it. I'm, I'm going to sound like I love every song I write. I don't. Um, in fact, most of them I don't like. You know, it takes, you know, a couple hundred songs to get to 12 or 10 to make a record. Um, but I love the bridge in that song because it, you know... It's, it'll be somebody else's dream second hand. Um, and I think that's also when you when you let go of a person, you know and and they find love again and it doesn't make what you had any less, but it just you know everybody moves on.
3: Well, and that's what you hope is that everyone can move on. I think that I mean for the most part, there are times that uh, you have to get work your way through something to get to that point, but uh, but I think in the end, everyone wants to just be happy. And you kind of wish happiness for everybody else as well. Well, So on one of the uh, songs, Bigger Boat, uh, you collaborated with Randy Newman. How did you meet Randy Newman, and how did that come about? Have you known him for a while? or? I haven't. So,
0: great story. So Bigger Boat was one of the... We knew that this this album would need some levity. So Long Walk and Bigger Boat provided that. Um, Because like you said, you were listening to it before, and it was messing up your makeup. So you need those moments to kind of have some happy tears. And um, I wrote the song Bigger Boat with Adam Wright, who's a great songwriter. And and I had wanted to write that idea for years. I'm a big Jaws fanatic. And I've always thought that would be such a great idea to write about the state of the world. And as as relevant as it was when we wrote it, it just continued to get more relevant, especially this year. But um, I recorded that song not as a duet. And my manager said... You know, that would be a great duet because I really wanted to do a duet on this project. And and she mentioned a couple of people who were great ideas. And I said, what about Randy Newman? Because to me, it sounded like Randy. And she said, well, that's a great idea. But how are we going to get to him? And I said and I hadn't thought of this before I said it. But I said, well, Lenny Warniker, who's one of the A&R guys that I would get to work with at Warner. He's known Randy forever. Like he could get to Randy. And so Lenny made that happen. And the first time I met Randy was actually when uh, I flew out to LA because he sang it. It was a mem- he sang it on a Memorial Day, like he had been working on Toy Story Four, and as soon as he finished, he said he could do it, and it happened to be Memorial Day, which I always thought was so great of him to take his holiday and do that. And so I went to his producer's studio, and he recorded it, and he was just wasn't in his key. He made it work, like he just was amazing. It's one of those situations where. They always say, like, don't meet your heroes. And then you meet Randy Newman, and he's just a gem.
3: I would think it is it is like meeting a hero, and it's someone that you have admired. And it's, it's got to be sort of a pinch-me moment, I would think, that I'm working with him.
0: Yeah, and, and it's the other pinch-me moment is when I play that song for people who are a lot younger than me, like my nephews and my godson, and they say is that the Toy Story guy? You know, like as soon as it comes on, that's what they know him from. So that's a real, that's a pretty cool moment to me. I mean, nobody doesn't know his voice.
3: That is, that's a really cool moment. And you mentioned long walk, which is another sort of humorous moment. And I probably am not getting the lyric exactly right, but I hear it's cold at the bottom of the ocean, as in you're going to walk, take a walk off the end of the pier and, and sink right down. And, uh, I wish you to take a a long walk off a short pier. And that was, that was very, uh, the lyrics were very funny and humorous on that, on long walk. That comes from something my
0: mom says. And cause you know, if I start to worry about somebody caring about something about me or whatever, she'll be like, Oh, you know, just tell him take a long walk off a short pier. and One night I was on Twitter and somebody had said some pretty mean things about another female artist. And I rarely chime in on that stuff because I always feel like people who do that want somebody to get mad at them, but I just couldn't help it. And I said, you know, you need to take a long walk off a short pier. And once again, I knew I had just said something that every songwriter that saw that would want to write it. And so I thought, I have to write this song. It was the last song written for this album, but I felt felt really strong about that idea. And probably because my mom has said that for my whole life, so I just kind of and it was just this, I thought,
3: boy, that's a great saying. Um, there's a song in that. Now you grew up in Washington State. Was your mom a musician, or your your parents musical at all? Or my mom's really musical. Um, played plays like plays everything. Could always figure
0: songs out. That always blew my mind. You know, if something was on the radio, my mom could sit down at the piano and figure it out. Um, I definitely got any musical gift I had from her. Um, and my dad wasn't musical, but he was really tenacious. And so I got self-disciplined and, you know, would work on things forever. Um, so I think both of them sort of, um, well, not sort of, both of them are the reason why I am where I am. And, and, but my mom, you know, lo- I, I, all of my musical loves come from my mom My mom always loved traditional country music. And, um and then Broadway show tunes. so I had this this crazy mix of country music and Broadway music. My mom loved those things, and she loved a lot of the in between, but those were the two things that she really brought to me mo in country music so much. I mean, and my grandparents lived next door to us, and they so their musical taste was was a couple generations further back so I knew a lot of music and still know a lot of music that that kind of surprises people um, that I shouldn't probably know for my age, but it's because I had that treasure trove of of people that loved loved country music especially. Um, and then my, my mom always loved things too that were, you know, that you would probably call Americana or roots. Like I remember her loving Katie Lang and Allison Krauss and, you know, artists that we weren't hearing on terrestrial country radio. My mom, she she was, and still, find, she always finds the great music.
3: Well, and I think of your style as very singer-songwriter and uh, storytelling and sort of genre-bending almost. There's, there's a little country in there. There's a little bit of other influences. Uh, this is my opinion, of course, but uh, um, I... Uh, I really enjoy the, the storytelling and the melody in particular. You really have a melody for each song that you write. It kind of makes me wonder, now that I hear your background with Broadway and country, that uh, there's always great melodies in Broadway. That's the, me- the memories that you have and bringing that sort of background to your music.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I've been told not so much now because of having my own artist career, but when I was writing songs as a staff songwriter, trying to get songs recorded, I I, had, I was told at different times like, "Hey, this is too musical," uh, and so I think that's what? where where that comes from, you know, like, "Oh, this is too musical," um,
3: but it worked out for me. Evidently, it has worked out for you quite nicely. Um, and you know, you just mentioned the fact that you write for other people, with other people, and you know, at your core, you're a performer, but you're also really a talented, amazingly talented songwriter, um, which has been borne out by uh, other artists recording the songs that you've written. In fact, a couple of just re- recently uh, that you wrote and collaborated with Brandy Carlisle, um, like mine and Same Devil, were a couple of songs that that came out. Was that correct? or?
0: Well, I, I wrote those songs um, with, with other co-writers and then Brandy produced them, which was a, which was an amazing experience
3: to get to so work Brandy with squared. With. Can we call it Brandy squared? Y'all were just you know What's working that? together. Brandy
0: squared. Yeah, yeah, I know I've talked about, we need to do a BC squared tour. Uh, maybe when this is all over, we will. Uh, working with her was fantastic. You know, I really, every producer I've gotten to work with, I've learned so much. And with her, you know, such a great singer that she really pushed me to sing bigger than I usually would and different, and that was a, really, was a really great
3: gift to me. I think a lot of people don't realize the role of the producer and even the engineer in an album is so important, and it, the whole album can turn out very differently depending on who is producing it and who is engineering it, and like you said, maybe your vocals were different because she pushed you in a different direction.
0: Totally. I always refer to the producer as the last songwriter on the songs because I've never worked with a producer on a record that, um, that had songs on the record, you know, so they were hearing the songs for the first time. And they for me, that's such a gift is from being a singer songwriter to have somebody step in who hasn't heard the songs, who hasn't, who wasn't with them at their inception. Um, they, they hear, they hear it just, they hear it differently. And Somebody like Jay Joyce, who I've done these last two records with, I mean, he's the most creative person I've ever met. I, I, there, if there's a more creative person on this planet, I'm shocked. Um, but he knows how to turn a song on its ear and take it someplace you would never imagine. And and it, without that, I mean, I need that because I write a certain kind of song. I can try to write a different kind of song. But truthfully, I just write songs. A lot of them are story songs. Um, I try to write the truth. And so, you know, I, I might not get bored in that, but a listener, you know, they want some ear candy and he knows how to do that. He knows how to not lose the integrity of the story and the song, but bring some some something to it musically that that you can't bring to it lyrically. He's so good at that. What
3: studio did you record the album in?
0: His studio, which is called Neon Cross, it's an old church that he bought and turned into a studio uh, in East Nashville. Amazing place to record.
3: Now, are you in a happy place when you're in the studio? Is it stressful? I was in a happy place, you know? Um,
0: I was, the, that breakup was to the past as the past by then, you know? Um, it wasn't during the, it wasn't always during the writing, but but by the time the recording happened, it was in a place, it was in a really good place and um, so happy, you know, but but definitely pulled on those um, sad memories when making them. I can always I can always conjure up a sad memory. That's uh, I love melancholy. I don't want to live in it, but I do love to um, write in it and record in it.
3: Was it cathartic in a way, just to sort of get these songs out there and recorded and maybe wrapping up some things for you?
0: Yeah. And it was also like, okay, I, I I feel, and I'm still kind of searching for what my next chapter will be as far as a record, but it was like, okay, I've made that record. Like I've made it. And, um, and so I'm going to close that door and figure out what the next chapter is. Um, so that, and that's always a challenge, you know, with every record. Um, but it's always nice. It's like, okay, those songs are done because you write them and, for me, I almost have to forget them before I record them, so that they can be new again. And especially with a guy like Jay, who's going to change arrangements, can't get too set in what you've done. I mean, a lot of times these songs, I'll re- I'll play them on the road if I'm out on the road, and get into a groove with a band playing them, and then go in the studio, and it completely changes. So I try not to get too too. I try not to get them too too far in my bones, but enough that it feels like. I know them, but I do have to relearn them. And so once the album's done, it's like okay, can forget that. But now you know, now that we haven't been on the road, next year it'll be like oh, we got to relearn those songs all over again. And every time we've done a gig like online, it's like oh man, I forgot about that part.
3: And um, so it'll it it, it's always a relearning process for me. So songs in a metaphor of being like children is are is it interesting to see them morph? in the studio, into something maybe that you didn't have in mind, but you can get outside yourself and enjoy that process?
0: It it's That's one of my favorite parts of it. You know, when when, when you start a record, you know, you think you know what it's going to be, and then it takes another turn. I mean, with this record, I went in with a sonic concept of let's make an acoustic record, and we started there, and then it ended up, we ended up bringing in the Memphis strings and horns and and some electric instruments along the way but it started with that acoustic we're going to do this all acoustic record. So I had it in my head what this record was going to be. It's nothing like what I thought it was going to be and that's beautiful. And that's what's that that I think is as an artist if I think if you want to um, to continue to, to evolve and challenge yourself as an artist, you always have to be open to okay, this is going to go a way different way than I thought. Um, Cause when you're done as a songwriter, it's like, okay, well, the song's done. That's what it is. And then you go in with somebody like Jay and he's like, Oh, let's change this chord to that. And let's move the bridge up here and let's get rid of this part. Um, you have to be okay with that. And then, you know, I think the, the best, what, what the, the best thing the song can be, it becomes,
3: when you uh, record a song or you're in the studio or even with your band, are you letting them just basically come up with whatever part that they feel? Um, or are you sort of saying, I want this to sound like this?
0: I, I'm, I'm one to let musicians explore, you know, um, because all, the other thing is, I think whether it's a producer or a musician, if I could do it, I'd do it. I can't. And so I need to give them the rope to be able to create I mean otherwise why do you hire them you know like they you want people who are creative and even you know my the band that I put together um for this this tour that I was going to do um very creative players and and the little bit that we got to rehearse stayed very close to the record but had ideas that worked better on the road than doing it the way the record is so, I think you always have to give people
3: their chance to create. Is there a spiritual place that you write music? Because I know a lot of people have a happy space or some place they go when they they want to be creative. Do you have a place like that that's important to you?
0: Well, you know, I've always I've always kept an office. I don't really have an office right now. That that helps me. Um, I go I go to Santa Fe, New Mexico, every year at the end of the year. Um, and do writing retreats this year, of course, is different. Um, But that place feels very creative. Some of the songs on this album started there. Um, A lot of it for me is the people. You know, if I'm with the right group of co-writers, it gets me in the right space. Um, Even for after that, even when I take off on something on my own and try to develop an idea or, or write a song on my own, if I'm writing with the right co-writers on the other days, that goes better.
3: So, what is that process like when you're working with other people? Is it does one person come up with a, an idea, or how do you how do you make that happen when you're well, co-writing?
0: Usually, yeah. Usually, everybody comes in with um, ideas, usually on their phone. You know, we got our notepad, and people just start talking about ideas usually, um, and then somebody will have a musical groove or. You know, a lot of times it comes from nowhere. You know, somebody will say an idea and somebody else start playing the guitar and you know, oh well that fits this, or if I'm writing with someone who's really musical and they want to play me a few ideas that they have, I might find an idea I've had for years that it's like, oh, that fits what they want to do musical musically. And um so it just can happen all kinds of ways. You know, sometimes somebody will come in with a whole verse or a chorus. Usually it's just an idea, but um, but it it can happen all kinds of ways.
3: You know, it's amazing when you write something down, it's an idea that comes to you, you know, in your head. I had a journal one time when I was young. I was only about 13, and it was in the back of a closet, and my niece found it when she was staying at my parents' house. And she brought it back to me, and she gave it to me as a Christmas gift. And when I read my journal that I hadn't read and you know, thousand years at this point, <laughs> um, it was interesting to see what I was thinking back then. And I'm sure when you're traveling or when you're, uh, like you said, you, you're at the award ceremony, you're eating dinner with friends or whatever, whenever the idea hits you, you write that down, you come back to it. Uh, that's, that has to be a, um, a great way to go about writing songs.
0: Yeah. And you know, what's funny is a lot of times you'll look back on an idea and you'll think, well, that's stupid. You know, like, why did I think that was worth writing down? But then the right day comes and it's not so stupid. It's like, oh, okay. Well, that idea was for this day, you know? um, And when you write them down, they all seem important when you write them down, like important enough to pull out your phone or napkin or whatever, and and just uh, write them down. But, but with the right people, I think almost any idea can be great. With the wrong people, the best idea in the world gets lost. Not because they're not great people. It's just
3: the wrong, the wrong group of um, people for that idea. Right. So, so this year, obviously, no touring for the most part. It's like you said, online touring. And um, so maybe some extra time to do some other things. So what have you been occupying yourself with this year outside of music?
0: Well, I've, I've gotten to spend time with both of my nephews, which they live in Alaska, and that's been pretty amazing. You know, one of them came and stayed with me for 10 days, and we had just the best time. And then the other one came, and we did a trip through some national parks. We went to Valley of Fire, Zion, Bryce Canyon, Moab. That was amazing, and, and I wouldn't have gotten to do those things with those boys had this time not happened. So I'm, I am really thankful for that part of it.
3: You know, I think there are some interesting silver linings in uh, taking a step back and being forced to slow one's life down. And um, I think we've all been connecting with, with each other, like we described in different ways, and maybe being able to do some things that that we hadn't had time for previously. But have you been writing also, or is there a new album sort of in the next?
0: I've been writing, year, you know, quite a bit. That's one of the things that's kept me sane too. Are these Zoom rights, You know, so. Cause can't get together because of COVID, but we can Zoom, right? Um, and that I have just started to think about. Okay, what's my next record? And I actually was talking to Lenny Warnaker, who I mentioned yesterday. Um, and I said, let's spend this next year figuring out this record. So I'm really uh, excited about that. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, I know there'll be a lot of songwriting between now and then, and and maybe I've written. I've always written parts of records I don't realize I have. Until you find that centerpiece song and you're like, okay, how do we build around this? And sometimes it's something you wrote five or six years ago that's a great song but just didn't have a place. And then when this record starts to form, oh, it's, it's perfect. Let's put it there. You know, like Pawn Shop's a great example. That song was, um, was on the cutting, the cutting room floor of Big Day in a Small Town. That was one of the songs that was in the mix that just didn't fit. And so then this album came along and it became one of the centerpiece songs.
3: Right. So it's almost like a piece of a puzzle. All of a sudden, this song seems like it belongs with this grouping. And um, yeah, that that makes total sense. And of course, you're writing enough songs that it does that. I've never, ever thought of it that way. But you're right. It's like a puzzle. And it's, it is about finding the right pieces. You're so, so right on that. Well, we are so excited for you about Life as a Record. And out on Warner Records, and uh, they were instrumental in, in getting this all set up and how great it was to talk with you today about the record but also a little bit about you and your life and um we hope next year you're out touring we hope we're all able to see each other and be together again
0: i think we will be i mean i think it's going to take a minute uh i don't i've had to tell myself don't think when the ball drops everything goes back to normal or what i mean it might never be the same normal some of that might be good last night i was watching a movie and there was a drinking fountain. And I said, I hope drinking fountains are gone. You know, when you think about like how unhygienic a drinking fountain is, I think maybe some things like that we won't see anymore, but I think we'll we'll definitely see each other again. And, and, you know, I know for me, um, I hope I have a lot of years left in my life and there's, there are some things I won't take for granted. I know people who are more towards the end of their lives that are like, am I ever going to be able to, to, to see people again and do things and I my heart breaks for them and I think they will, but I think boy I need to listen to that and and not take for granted the fact that oh I can go have Thanksgiving with my mom, which I can't this year.
3: Um and and really cherish those things more than I already did. That's well said. We have a lot to be grateful for. And uh I wish you the, the best of luck and I hope you are able to come down and see us in Memphis Uh, for a concert series sometime when you're back on the road and
0: i would love to in fact you know what i would love is to come down there i've still not met the guys that played on my record the guys and girls that are part of that memphis string and horn section i'd love to do a concert and have them come
3: out and play with me and my band i think it would be amazing we can make that happen that would be so much fun that would be really fun and uh brandy great to meet you I love the album. I'm going to be listening to it with my box of Kleenex, of course, but uh, I'm going to be listening to it nonetheless. And um, um, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today.
1: We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Brandi Clark. Be sure to listen to other Diddy TV podcasts for more from the leaders and legends in the Americana and Roots music scene. And don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content and to download our official Diddy TV app from your app store today.